You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, welcome to Future Proof Workplace. I'm excited to be here and thank you for tuning in again. This is Linda Sharkey, your host, and uh, Morag is not with us today. She is in Houston um, doing some workshops, which is really great, and then heading uh, her way up to uh, Toronto. So um, we are going to be, I'm going to jump right in and get with uh, my guest, Mark. So great to have you on. Um, it was wonderful to see you in Chicago recently. Well, isn't it fun when when our social media lives run into our in person lives? I know it's very it's very exciting, and and uh, actually that's I was excited to have met you there a couple of years ago and had you on my other show. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest today and why I think this is so important, incredibly important to uh, the future proof workplace. Um, One, Mark is uh, president and uh, senior partner of WorkIQ, which is a consulting group that helps organizations and their leaders improve the experience of work by helping them understand, then raise their collective level of workplace intelligence, or WQ. Mark has has, uh, been named by Inc. Magazine as the top 100 leadership speakers, and he's got a great book out called A World Gone Social. Isn't that true? Uh, companies must adapt to survive. Um, so, Mark, it's really, really nice to have you on the show again. I really appreciate you joining us. Well, I always love talking to you, Linda, whether it's on the air or not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, let's let's jump in. Um, you, we all know about IQ, of course, and we know about EQ. You know, emotional intelligence. And but, what is this notion of workplace intelligence, and how does it relate to leadership? Well, what a great question. So, so Sean Murphy, my my partner and I at Work IQ, we're, we're in that group of of practitioners who really care about building good company cultures and, and um, outstanding workplace climates and just great places to work in general, just like you are. Yeah. And it occurred to us that, that while we spend a lot of time talking about culture and climate, we, except for just a few instances, we really weren't moving the needle very much. And, and so we started to dig in why. And, and what we found out was that, perhaps companies are taking on uh, improvement of culture, but not taking on improvement of leadership or not factoring in the, the uh, absolute importance of engaging with their employees, not in a constructed way, but in a generic caring way or, yeah. and not, not measuring performance on purpose and values, but only on results. Right. So yeah. we started digging into this and we found out that there this, this notion of workplace intelligence um, when we look at about 600 companies that are really doing well in overall culture and climate and, and people are thrilled to go to work there, they 
have a high level of workplace intelligence. And, and so they're not just focused on culture without looking at leadership and they're not just looking at leadership without looking at engagement and, and engagement without looking at social intelligence or community sense of sense of community or, or belonging. They're looking at all of these things and they understand how important all of them are to the, to their workplace. And, and that's, um, that's where WQ came from was, was if we can somehow measure and then improve one, one category at a time, improve these seven components of, of workplace intelligence, then the more we improve, the better place we have to work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I don't think we've moved the needle at all in terms of organizational culture. And you know from our, our new book, More Ags in Mind, Future Proof Workplace, we see culture as really a cornerstone of the 21st century as as something that companies must understand and must deal with in order to survive and thrive um, in, in, in this next century. And I'm, I'm sure you followed the news, but you know, Wells Fargo just doesn't seem to be able to get out from under the rock of the culture that they have, which is all about, appears to be all about greed. So, you know. Yeah, well, and, you know, we used to say, especially those those uh, practitioners, we used to say, wow, that, you know, that's Wells Fargo. That's the way, that, you know, that's the way they've always been, right? But it, yeah. it isn't just the old legacy companies that are suffering in this area. Look right. at what's happening at Uber and 500 startups right. and, and the, the smaller companies in Silicon Valley and, and um, Orange County, California, the, uh, dozens of examples of this frat brother um, mentality where yeah. sexual harassment is okay. And, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, confrontational workplaces are somehow okay because that's, well, Dave McClure is our founder and he's as confrontational as it gets. It works for him, right? right. And then and then things start to implode and we wonder why. And, and that's where workplace intelligence comes in as well as culture. And, and I have to tell you, uh, and you and I have talked about this off the air before, 10 years ago, nobody, almost nobody was talking about culture, right? We built a company. The company was built to make money. You were lucky to have a job at that company. And we didn't care what the culture was. Just do your job. Keep and your now we're, we're learning how important it is to not just have a great company culture, but a great place to work in general. And I'm, I'm thrilled we're even talking about it. Right, right. I mean, it just seems like all the sexual harassment stuff is just coming out of the woodwork. And I, I have to honestly tell you, I, when reflecting on it, was sexually harassed uh, several times in two different companies. And, um, you know, I think we just sort of looked the other way. Um, and now people are not looking the other way anymore. And this is men and women, by the way. Oh, yes. And isn't it exciting? Isn't it exciting that we're starting to bring our personal values into the workplace. Yeah. Right. And that, and that's such an important part of culture and workplace intelligence is if my personal values don't line up with my work environment, I may not want to be here anymore. Right. And again, we never even just talk about that stuff. So not only is it important from a human perspective, it's, it's important certainly from a workplace perspective. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any question about it. And, you know, and we have seen, Companies like Uber, I mean, it just got kicked or it's been kicked out of London and, and you know, I'm going to London tomorrow and I'm thinking, ooh. And, you know, I literally did change my account from Uber to Lyft uh, because of all of that. I did too. And and I did it not not because I'm 
you know, diametrically opposed to what Uber stands for. I'm diametrically opposed to what their leadership apparently stands for. And, and I know there's a whole bunch of people that make a really good living or, or at least a sustainable living driving for Uber. And I don't wish them any ill will, but, but it really does start at the top. And I, and I personally, you know, I'm, I'm married to a very strong woman. I have two daughters. I have two granddaughters. I can't personally tolerate that. So I did the same thing. I switched from Uber to Lyft. Yeah. Yeah. And because honestly, Mark, I had to put my money where my values are. And uh, that's really why I did it for exactly the same reason. So oh, let's. That's, that's brilliant. I, I applaud you. <laughs> you too. So let, let me ask you this. Um, what do you see as the seven? What what are what are the elements of workplace uh, intelligence? And we're, we're talking about organizational culture and climate, but what are the other elements of workplace intelligence as you see it? Well, I, I we talked a little bit about uh, organizational culture and workplace climate, and you know there is a difference. And you and I talked about this in Chicago. There's a huge difference between how we get our work done, which is culture, versus mm-hmm. how it feels like to be there while we're getting our work done, which is climate, right? So, yeah. so we're, we're starting to differentiate those things in the workplace now, which is important. Um, there's leadership certainly plays a key uh, employee engagement, despite the fact we haven't moved the needle forward where American companies are no more engaged now than they were 30 years ago, despite yeah. millions of dollars thrown at the problem and, and this manipulative approach to it that we've had for the last three decades. Nice. Um, Measuring performance based on purpose, or, or at least having performance driven by something other than making money, is is a huge factor in workplace intelligence. Do people really believe in the mission of your organization, or are they just there for a paycheck? And you're going to get much different performance on on both ends of that spectrum. People who really believe are going to dive in. They're going to work smarter. They're going to work maybe harder, and and they're going to help you live the mission. Right? If they're just collecting a paycheck, they go, oh, five o'clock, time to go home. Right. right. Um, optimism in the workplace is a huge key we learned as we were looking at all these companies. People actually want to show up today, right? Are they, are they looking forward to the next challenge? Are they looking forward to working with their team to get to the next level? Optimism is a, is a huge factor in workplace intelligence. Um, and certainly, as you can imagine, culture and, and climate too. Um, social intelligence over the last 10 years has been a really big deal. It's funny, we were just talking about Uber what a great example, right? Or, or Dave McClure at 500 Startups. He has, you know, they had these rebellious um, rock star CEOs who had this very interesting uh, social presence, but it turned out that that wasn't who they were at all, uh, as we find out later, right? So your collective social intelligence of, of your leaders and, and the people out in front and the people providing customer services is a huge issue. And then finally, one of the biggest issues is is building of community or building that sense of belonging. You know, do people feel like they're a member of the club? Do 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 when we go to work, do we walk in there and go, you know what, I'm part of a team here and my work matters and the work we're doing collectively matters. And so that sense of belonging, that sense of community is also very important. You know, I love uh I love that. Um I, I didn't necessarily understand, you know, when I first saw that, what, what you, until I looked at your book and, and uh, some other things, what you really meant by that sense of community. Because in the 20, 20th century, a lot of people were getting involved in community projects and all of that. And there seemed to be a lot of 
uh, research that said doing social good also paid back in the company. But I want to key in on this word belonging, because I think that's really important what you're saying there, Mark. You know, we used to say, uh, you know, it's got to be inclusive. The workplace has got to be inclusive and people have to, you know, feel like they can fit in. And, you know, when you feel like you can fit in, that means you need to conform. But when you have that sense of belonging, there's sort of a, a sense of, of, um, of that we're part of the club as the word that you used. You know, we're accepted for who we are, not necessarily who others want us to be. And I think that was the fallacy of a lot of the diversity work before. You know, women felt that they had to conform uh, people who were different had to conform to the standard and the norm. And I think that's changing dramatically uh, in the 21st century. Well, and thank, and thank God it is, right? Yeah. Um, Jordi Clark does this wonderful talk about covering. And and she used to say, we used to cover up who we are to fit in. And that was that was actually quite the opposite of of being diverse or being accepted or, or being included uh, in today's workplace, the most effective workplaces, it they they don't just talk about diversity, and they don't expect you to fit in. They actually embrace how different we are, and they build teams according to the, those those strengths and 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 what we bring to the table as individuals. And and they just they get it, and it's working right. A team, I know Zappos is always called out for being an, an amazing company, right? And, and, you know, it's almost become a cliche to use them as an example, but from day one, they embraced that I am completely different. And if I come in with purple hair, I'm coming in with purple hair. And right. and that's how I am. And, and and I'm still really good at what I do. And because I am, nobody cares, right? right. Just, just fit, you know, just heck with this fit in thing. Be yourself and bring your own views. And, and don't be afraid to speak up. Know that you have a voice here. And, and that's what's really important. So I got to tell you, systemically, Linda, it I don't blame all this fitting in thing on on, uh, on the workplace, on corporate America, not at all. You think about to, to our education system, right. which, by the way, in most places has se- severely lacking levels of workplace intelligence. From like fifth grade on, the, you're taught compliance and conformity. Don't be yeah. different. Just, yep. just do what you're told, follow directions, don't be creative, don't be funny, just do what you're told. And so from fifth grade on, you know, we grew up with that all the way through high school and in, even in college to some degree. And then we go in the workplace and we expect nothing different, right? So uh, this this compliance and conformity thing isn't just a workplace problem. It's a systemic problem that I think, thank God, some some people in higher education are starting to take that on too. Yeah, I, I totally I totally agree with you. And um, I, I think what what do you see? I, you know, I'm sort of doing a little nexus here, but how does a company go about getting workplace intelligence? How do they figure out where they are and, and, and how do they how do they go about getting it? Well, the, the first the first step to that is just opening opening eyes. Right. You don't. Stop believing what your about us page says. Stop believing what that carefully crafted 32-word sentence on your wall says in the lobby. Really start to figure out 
what you do and how you go about it and, and how you treat people. And so that's a start. And, and, you know, this is, this takes a a significant amount of self-awareness, just like somebody who wants to improve their individual emotional quotient, emotional intelligence, they have to be pretty self-aware to, to, to like deliberately improve their EQ. Right. And, and it's not impossible, but it does take a certain amount of self-awareness. Well, that's, that's what we have to do in the workplace too with WQ. We have to look at each of us in a, in a very objective, appreciative, em, empathetic way to say, okay, what are we good at? What maybe, what aren't we good at right now? What could, what could we do better and how we do it better? And, and don't just talk about the what and how to talk about the why. Why should we get better? Is it because we need to treat our customers better? Is it because we need to treat our employees better? Is it because we need to, to uh, uh, promote uh, new, you know, uh, high, high talent people faster? What, you know, don't, don't, just, don't just settle for the why and big picture stuff. And it's not all puppies and rainbows. We have to take an objective look at where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a do you have a survey or something that you use? So how do you take that objective look or help a company take an objective look on on how they stack up against your uh, seven factors? Well, we have we do have a, a very simple 20, 20 point questionnaire that we ask people to fill out. And as you can imagine, it's not multiple choice. We actually ask people to think a little bit as they're going through this. Because we don't want them to just assign a number to a problem. We actually want them to think, what, you know, what, what is our current level of social intelligence? What is our, the perception of our brand online? And, and so we ask them to go and find three people, maybe a customer, a stakeholder, and an employee, and say, uh, say what, 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 what do we look like? Where, where do we stand right now? And, uh, and so this questionnaire does make them think a little bit. And even if they don't um, work with us to in, to raise their level of workplace intelligence, at least they know objectively where they stand now. Yeah, which you know you got to start there. You absolutely got to. You start have to have a baseline. You know that baseline. Your- and you know and that. I love your approach. That it's not just a survey. There's an interview which we're going to talk about when because that's a great way to approach this. So. We have to come. We're coming up on a break. We're talking to Mark Babbitt, president and senior partner of Work IQ. We're talking about how you get workplace IQ. Um, so stay with us. We're going to talk about how you really determine whether you have the workplace IQ to be successful today and tomorrow. So we're taking a quick break. We'll be back with you shortly. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, 5 years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Hi, welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, and uh, Morag is in uh, Houston doing some great Future Proof Workplace uh, workshop facilitation. And we're talking to Mark Babbitt today, who is president and senior partner of Work IQ. He's got a great new book, uh, well, a great book out, uh, The World Gone Social How Companies Must Adapt to Survive. And we were just talking about workplace 
intelligence and how you go about assessing whether you where you are on that aspect. Do you really understand what's going on in, in the human side of your workplace? And, you know, Mark, you were saying it's important to get that baseline. And yeah, I mean, you've got to face reality where it is. And if you don't get the baseline, then you have no way of, of, of knowing what you have to do to improve. But the real thing I loved about what you said, well, I loved it about everything that you've said, but the real thing uh, that really intrigued me that most consultancies don't do is have the client's do some interviews of customers and others. And that's got to be a major eye-opener for them, um, you know, just to hear in the words of others how they perceive the company against these workplace factors. What made you take that approach? I think it's brilliant. Well, our, our, our consultancy work, to be honest. I mean, we, we uh, uh, work IQ is a relatively new name for us. We were switching shift for six years before right. that, and right. and and that's when you and I met. We were switching right. shift, of course, and and that's always been a, an integral part of our practices. You know, and you've seen this, right? When you work with leaders, when you work with with the C-suite, the suits, as we call them, right? You get a very filtered view of of reality and. But when you actually sit down and talk to a customer, talk to an employee, talk to a mid-level manager, talk to a stakeholder or maybe somebody who used to be a brand ambassador but isn't anymore, and you actually ask why, that's where you start to get some really good input. And, and trust me, it's maybe not as easy as it sounds. You have to create an, a, an incredibly safe environment. You have to build a little trust. You have to explain why we're asking this question and and no no your job will not be affected if you give us a you know a less than positive response you know there's a lot to it but we we help companies create that safe trusting environment where you can go out and and ask the right questions and and again find out what you're what you're good at right now and maybe what you're not so good at yeah is there a theme when you do these assessments and when you have, I, I'm, I'm taking that you have the, some of the leaders themselves do some of these interviews. Did I, did I get that right? Yes. Yes, we do. I, or, or at least sit in the room with us. So, so they get, you know, uh, you, you, you know, this from, from, uh, from your work with future proof. I know you talk to the CEO and you get this, you know, fairly flowery picture. Like they're writing the third quarter reports. Right. Um, everything's great. And then, boy, when they sit in front of that that $12 an hour an employee from the manufacturing floor and they hear these these undercover boss moments, you know, yeah. firsthand without all the filters, yeah. it is powerful stuff. Yeah. And, and, and once we make that connection, and oh, by the way, it's not just powerful for the CEO, it's powerful for the for the uh, manufacturing worker or the, uh, you know, the shift worker, the middle manager, the, the directors, the new director, when they sit down and they go, wow, our CEO, she really cares. She asked really good questions and she was an active participant in the conversation. And listen, she, she listened to me. <laughs> right. And, and it changes. It just, it just rocks the world of the employees. It's that alone is powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I love that. I absolutely love that approach. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to, uh, what do you have? A, uh, you know, we do a, a series of quick, uh, a quick quiz with our future proof workplace. We have six fact, six factors, as you know, some are similar to yours. Um, 
And there are some themes that come through consistently, no matter what client we're working with. Do you find the same with, with, with your assessment? What are the sort of the biggest hot buttons that come up? Oh, what a great question. So a couple of them are back to what we just talked about. Uh, employees want to feel like they're being listened to without feeling like they're being manipulated. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, we, we, you know, pizza happy hours on Fridays only goes so far, right? People don't <laughs> want to be talked at, they right. want to be talked with, right? right? And, and so that is, is undoubtedly a, a major factor on so many levels, social intelligence, community building, performance, optimism, right? If, if, if we would lose that industrial edge mentality that says, I'm the CEO or I'm the CMO or CIO, whatever it is, you're the employee, so I'm going to talk at you like a parent would talk to a child. Then that the whole world changes when you change that. So, um, and the other thing is, it's amazing to us as we leave the industrial age and go into these social workplaces, the companies that actually provide regular feedback, uh, uh, allow their employees and their customers and their stakeholders and their ambassadors to have a voice. And, and build that trust so they know even if they say something bad, it's going to be appreciated and listened to, then, then that's a factor. And unfortunately, in many of our companies, that's a huge ding, if you will, when, yeah. when employees say, look, I, I'm just – nobody's ever said, hey, just do your job, but that's exactly what it feels like here. I don't get to try and improve the process. I, you know, we, we, we had a client just recently, Linda, where – we went in and asked the questions. We helped establish the baseline. And, and it was a, an IT department of a major healthcare firm. And when we were done, a 20-year veteran stood up and said, I need to thank you guys. I've been here 20 years. We had this huge cyber breach. They brought in millions of dollars worth of consultants to fix the cyber breach. This is what I do for a living. You are the first people to ever ask me what could be done differently. Wow. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, it was. And and the CIO, by the way, went, is that true? We never asked you guys. We never, you're, you're like our cybersecurity department. We never asked you guys. Nope. You just, you just threw consultants at the problem. We didn't feel valued at all. Yeah. And, and, um, just this huge aha moment. And, And I'll tell you, that's the, that's a big difference for us is, you know, a lot of, you know, this, a lot of, um, a lot of consultants, a lot of, of leadership books. It's all about the the raw, raw moments. Let's make people feel better, like employee engagement. Let's just make people feel better. Let's get them fired up. They'll do good work. No, raw, raw moments don't work. Aha moments work. And and when we can shift that focus from let's just not get them fired up, but let's actually inspire action, inspire creativity, inspire innovation, inspire communication. That's where the big difference is. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and you know, I know you, you said earlier in our conversation that uh, employee engagement, and, and you're right, it's like diversity. Employee engagement and diversity, we've been throwing money at this for the last 30 years. I mean, every corporation that I've been in, oh, oh we've got to have an employee engagement program, you know, pass out thank you letters and make sure you recognize them and do all this other kind of stuff. But But basically... You know, we haven't been treating people with the respect that they deserve, and and still we treat them like the man in the machine. You know that they're lower level jobs, and you know, boy, they can't possibly. You know, we have to 
tell them. So why is it that you that you think employee engagement has has been not uh, operating in the way it should be? Well, another great question, Linda. I, it comes down to this: we, just like our education system, we mentored our middle managers and 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 maybe even a little higher than that to focus on that kind that compliance and conformity thing. They didn't become mentors. They become they become seekers of discipline, right? And and did you show up to work on time today? Did you did you meet your quota today, right? Regardless of why you did or why you didn't, only the top performers, even if their values weren't aligned, the top performers in, in American culture have always been rewarded, even if they were sneaky about the way they did it or found the loophole in the system or whatever. At the end of the quarter, oh, our top salesman is Joe. Joe, 132% of quota, right? Well, Joe's values may not be aligned with us at all, but but boy, he was he's the guy rewarded. He's the guy recognized, right? And and so I think it's important to to get past that 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 results only performance to tie in values and and results and and make sure we're aligned both and treat equally. And I think that's a big part of it. I'll tell you another another part. If you're if you're focused on clients, uh, compliance and conformity, you're not focused on caring. And and we. A lot too many companies don't hire that manager who walk up to somebody, uh, you know, the next morning and say, "Hey, Paula, I saw your I saw your car in the parking lot till late last night. What are you working on? How can I help you? What you shouldn't be here that late. Go home, right? Nobody nobody has that conversation, right? We have the conversation. Well, you're six days late on your project, right? Right? And and boy, if we had if we had those random acts of leadership, those random acts of engagement in the hallway, in the cafeteria, in the break room, in the bathroom, I don't care where it goes on, people would go, wow, he really cares. Right. And that's why I was here late last night. He actually cares. When did that happen? Right. And and that's why engagement hasn't picked up because engagement should not be dictated by a software program that says, hey, it's Paula's five-year anniversary day. Go say hi. Right. 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 That's, That's manipulative. Right. That's that's insincere. And it's those human to human moments that that help people feel engaged, that give them that sense of belonging, give them that sense of community. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really love the way you put that. And, and I, I really actually had not thought about that uh, before. And that, you know, we really train managers to and particularly middle managers. You know, we, we tell them, oh, you're supposed to mentor your people and oh, you're supposed to you know, thank people and, oh, you're supposed to care about your, but really what we hold them accountable for are the goals and the deadlines and uh, making sure that people comply and conform. And so their job is really the chief compliance and conformity officers, making sure people fit in and and do what they're supposed to do instead of that whole notion of really caring about somebody. What, what, I mean, it sounds subtle, but it's huge. and, And I have to tell you, it is fun to see it happen. You can, we had a client recently say, look, I can actually, we, we started doing these random acts of leadership and I can actually feel the difference walking through the floor. People are making eye contact. They're, they're taking their head off of their iPhone for a minute and they're actually talking to people. And, and you know, that's another thing, Linda, and you know this, sometimes we don't take on change initiatives because we think it's two or three or four or five years down the road and we'll never change our culture. It's too much work and 
it's yeah. too hard and we'd have to 30 percent attrition would be required and and half of our board wouldn't be here and half of our c-suite wouldn't be here anymore and we're not going to take all that on but you know what it really is at least as far as climate is concerned maybe maybe you can't change culture you know in less than a, a, a year or two or more but you can certainly change the climate just by having those human-to-human conversations. No question about it. Absolutely no question about it. And we're going to talk about actually how you do that. I want to get to some other points that you raise that are really, really powerful. I just love this concept of random acts of leadership, which frankly, Mark, we lack in the whole moral fabric of our country right now, which is very sad. We've got to go on break, but boy, we could talk about that forever. That one forever. (laughs) Anyway, we're coming up to a break. I'm talking to Mark Babbitt, president and senior partner of Work IQ. We're having a great conversation on how you make your workplace really great. Not just say it's great, but really great so people feel it. We'll be talking to you in a few minutes after our break. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, and we're talking with uh, I'm talking with Mark Babbitt, president and senior partner of Work IQ, a consultancy. Uh, but also, I wanted to mention, and I didn't before, that Mark is a frequent blogger. Uh, who can be found in Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, Inc., and also in the Harvard Business Review. So we were talking, spending time talking about random acts of leadership, and you're talking about leaders really needing to demonstrate caring. We talk about that somewhat in our book, where we talk about we have to bring the heart back into the workplace, you know, where people feel that connection and that emotional connection to each other. Uh, and that's what drives the loyalty to the purpose of what you're trying to do. You know, in, in the 20th century, we tried to push all that stuff out of the way. But we really realize that people spend a lot of time at work. And having leaders that really care about what somebody is doing and really care about the individual makes all the difference in the world. I love that concept, Mark. Linda, here's the reality. If we could shift the mindset from industrial age management to social age mentorship, our our engagement would would go up, our our has gone up in in many companies when they when they deliberately set out, look, we're you know, if somebody's six minutes late, who cares? That isn't how we're measuring them. What what did they accomplish today? What did what what results do they drive? What how do they treat those around them? How do they contribute to the to the mission, right? Uh, uh, but you have to make that deliberate moment, and and you also have to say, look, it's okay to say, hey, sit down for a minute. It looks like you're having a really rough day. How can I help you? And yeah. become that mentor and show that you care. And 
and you know, walk up, uh, expand the circle a little bit. You know, uh, those those uh, water cooler talks and the break room talks. Just go be human for five minutes. If somebody's talking about Game of Thrones or their dog threw up on the carpet or whatever, just oh, yeah. join the con- take two minutes and join the conversation, right? right. And and uh, sure, at first eyebrows will raise a little bit, like oh that was weird. He's never done that before, right? But but as as you as you reset expectations, show a little vulnerability, show a little the human side of you. The people do trust you more. They respect you more. And now it becomes that more safe, uh, better listening environment. And that's and, and, and it all comes down to, you know, we, we, you guys say it well. We, we say, you know, build a human-centered business. Um, it, it really is that important. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We're, 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 we're both speaking to the choir here. <laughs> so you say something else that I, I picked up. Uh, and we haven't really talked about it, but it's but it's in your book, I, uh, I think, the contagious pocket of excellence. What do you mean by that? I love that phrase. Well, here's the reality. We don't all work at Zappos, right? Um, we we may not have a full appreciation for the existing culture or the existing climate. And, and so this is where we empower teams, uh, middle managers, uh, uh, you know, CXOs of smaller divisions. Maybe it's the marketing team or the IT group. And we say, look, you can build your own subculture. You can change the climate right here. And you do that through building contagious pockets of excellence. So you take a team and you say, here's the problem, here's the challenge, how will we fix that? And give them a voice and let them be part of the conversation and and actually move the needle, make a difference in that one small project. And they, they look at each other and go, wow, we've been working on this six months, we just fixed it in four hours. Yeah. And that, that really happens when you give people a voice. And And so this pocket of excellence, they see each other as, wow, we're good. We, we, we just did something amazing, right? Well, of course, the next time they're invited to join, though, we call them solution-focused work groups, and and we say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go and we're gonna solve a problem in the next four hours. Period. And we're we're looking at a couple of case studies. Four hours from now, we're going to solve a major culture or climate problem or operation problem in this company, and we're not leaving here until that four hours is done. Or we all say, yeah, that's it. We got it. Right. And and here's what happens when stuff like that happens and we and we break down our barriers to success and we and we get this diverse group of people from the newest intern to the maybe even the CEO in the room without rank. And we just have these great conversations and we do something amazing. Somebody outside that room is going to look in and go, what is going on in there? What what are they doing and how do I become part of that? I, I don't like this culture that I'm dealing with. I don't like the way we're working out here, but that they're getting stuff done. And I like that. And that's the contagious part, right? So, so when you do enough good work, even in your small little subcultures or, or your little climates, microclimates, and people start to notice that's when they become contagious. So you're doing amazingly good work still within the confines of the existing culture, but independent, operationally independent, and and you're getting stuff done. It does become contagious. Yeah, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. And what I'm intrigued with here, uh, Marcus, what you're talking about, you know, that that four hour block, you know, 
it's it's not like we haven't talked about you know work group problem solving before and you know we've got these elaborate processes that we take people through and I'm not you know I'm not belittling that because a lot of that helps people stay focused and all of that. Give me a quick case study of how do you get groups? It sounds like you put the whole system in the room from maybe you know the clerk right up to the CEO and how do you get them focused and get them moving and get them to solution in four hours? Give, give me a little snippet case study of of of, of a success story. Well, I'll, I'll tell you our most recent success story it was uh, with a, a major utilities firm in the Seattle area, and they had a major problem where their managers weren't allowed to move money as they needed to, to accomplish the projects. And, and it was an act of God uh, working with PMO and the, in accounting and, and finance, just to say, look, I need to move $10,000 to, to, you know, put more, uh, more people or, or different resource on this, on this other project. Cause I'm a little behind, but I'm a little ahead over here. So I just want to move the money. And, and it was like, Oh no, that's not how we do things around here. Right, you have to you have to fill out this form, and the form goes in front of a committee. And if the committee agrees, then you can come in and give a, a, your argument. And it takes about six weeks. Well, I'm tired is, already. <laughs> right, it's exhausting. Right, okay. the, the bureaucracy is exhausting. And so we get the PMO, we get the customer, we get the the CIO, we get the middle managers, we get the people that are responsible for actually delivering the projects on time in the room, and we say, here's here's our challenge. Here's here's where we want to want to go. How do we get there? And if people start worshiping the problem instead of focusing on the solution, we go time out. No, 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 no. We all clearly understand the problem. What is the solution? And and it's it's a facilitated, strong bonding relationship. And we've never done one of these where people walked out and go, well, that sucked. I don't agree with that at all. Because here's what happens in the first 20 minutes, people express the pain they're feeling through whatever case study we're taking on at that moment. And would you humanize the pain and say, look, I just want to do a good job, but I can't do a good job within, within the confines of the existing system. And when the PMOs and the, and, and the CFOs and the, and everybody involved actually feels and empathizes with that human pain, they are far more likely to say, yeah, we got a problem here. Let's fix it. Yeah. Right. And it really is that simple. It's just getting the right people in the right room at the right time and focused on the right solution. Yeah. It, th- it sounds to me a lot like you're trying to get that, that you work to get people to agree to what the pain is and then, you know, really agree to the, 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 the sort of the elephant in the room. And then once they do, then that's half the battle. Then they can move forward on coming up with a concrete solution. Well, that's it exactly, and we and we have a simple—I wouldn't even call it a tool—but it's, it's more of a mindset. It's yeah, it's a radical candor followed by resounding clarity. Yeah, right? <laughs> and and we're not here to hurt anybody's feelings, and we're not here to point fingers, but we have to say, we have to state, we have to demonstrate, we have to articulate the pain, and then and once we've done that, most people just go, "Wow, I didn't know this was such a big problem." I didn't know that my team was a holdup here, and I don't feel good about that. Yeah, let's fix it. It isn't, oh, that I don't agree with that at all, right? I mean, there's some of that at the beginning, depending on how the problem is articulated, but but it's it's it. Nobody ever leaves the room going, well, I just don't believe it's that big of a problem because it's it's so humanly stated that yeah. that people want to be part of the solution. Yeah. 
Well, and, and doing this in four hours is absolutely incredible because, you know, the, the world is just moving so fast that we cannot take, you know, days and months and, uh, you know, to, to solve problems. And we've got to move away from this finger pointing and blame and and get on with facing the reality of what, what really is going on and then and then take it from there going forward. So um, I, I love that. I love that strategy. I love that well, approach. It really is. It really is asking people to be more human in how they work and 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 when it comes down to it and by the way by the while you're doing all this you're building those one-on-one relationships you're building trust you're you're earning respect so next time we have a problem we say look we don't even need the four-hour case study we don't even need a solution focused work group here's my problem let's can we work on this together well yeah yeah right and and so change becomes organic it isn't an initiative it isn't something we need to throw, th- you know, three million dollars a year at. It's it's like, hey, we got a problem here. Let's let's go to work. And it is phenomenal when when that starts to happen. When change starts to become organic, the CEO looks around and goes, Yeah, you know what? We're doing something right here. This looks good to me. Yeah, I love that. Uh, you know, one other quick question. Do you- you know, you have these seven factors. Does somebody have to be good in all seven of these factors? Oh, what a, what a great question. Absolutely not. And most are not, right? Even even Zappos, when when they looked at, at their sense of community, they did a wonderful job of building a community with their customers and with the press and with the entrepreneur world, right? They became media darlings. They didn't necessarily build community within the company. And and, you know, Tony Shea saw that and went, whoa, time out, right? This is not working for me. And he took radical steps to fix what he felt had become a bureaucracy. And and some people love what he did and some people don't and the jury's still out. But but there's a great example of somebody already famous for building great community outside the, the, the offices, but inside, no, yet it turned out it wasn't very good at all. And, and uh, so even... Even the companies that, are, that we hold up as shining examples of great cultures, they are not good at all seven. The secret is what, what, will have, what can we change? What can we attack right now? What can we focus on at this moment to raise our collective work intelligence the most? And that's, and that's, where, we help. that's where we help them say, okay, you're, you're good at this. You're really good at that. You know, you're okay at this, but this over here, yeah, not so good. And it's, a major issue with the employees and it's affecting social intelligence and that sense of community and, and certainly your, the performance of your employees. So let's go to work on that. Yeah. I love that, Mark. Really. I, and I love the expressions that you use. They're, they're so clear and, and, uh, and they're so human. They're, they're, they're all, they don't feel like, um, what's the word I want to use? They don't feel like corporate jargon or corporate speak. And God only knows we've, all been ingrained with all of that. So quickly, we're coming up to the end of the show. What three messages do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I, I think first is focus on solutions. And I know that's easy to say, and it sounds a little preachy, but, uh, and you mentioned this earlier before we went to the last break, the world is so divisive right now. It's so easy. I mean, we, we, we wonder why, you know, we have these one-sided discussions, but the first thing we do is choose sides, right. and right. So th- th- there, there's there's only one place that's more important to to um, to actually listen, and that's at home. But at work, we have to listen to each other, and and and, and we 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 have to be better listeners, and we have to 
let the divisive stuff, you know, let let CNN cover that, right? You right. Take, they do a really good job of that, right? Let them have that. Uh, be a human being, and that's and that brings to the second point is. Uh, you know, it's really easy to say no to somebody you don't know, you don't trust. You have to build those one-on-one relationships. You have to take the time, and and you're not just another cog in the machine. You're you're one human being talking to another human being, and so that's that's key, and and and, and it affects not just your EQ, your individual emotional intelligence it dramatically affects workplace um culture and workplace intelligence and quickly and then, the third mark and quickly the third is is go to work solve a problem every day what just that's your that's your mindset what problem will i solve today i love that and how do people get a hold of you well they can reach uh, reach uh, me at mark.babbitt at workiq.com or business partner sean murphy s-h-a-w-n dot murphy at workiq.com Mark, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I, I just always love my conversations with you, and and it's just so insightful. And it's just a pleasure to know you. And uh, I know I'm going to be seeing more of you, and we'll be running into each other again soon. I would love that. Thank you, Linda. Okay, thank you, Mark, for being on. I really appreciate it. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.